Israel is a land of diverse cultures, religions, foods, music and people. Join Benji Shulman for the next hour as he explores the devout and divine, the off the wall and outrageous and everything in between. Right here on 101.9 High FM. You're listening to 101.9 High FM. I'm Benji Shulman. This is the new Blue Review. Welcome to the program. On this very first show of February, it's a little bit dank outside. It's been raining quite a lot. Uh, my hygrometer that I consult from time to time uh, is actually sitting at 90%, which is the percentage of water in the atmosphere. Very unusual. Normally, uh, even during a rainstorm, it sits at around 60-odd percent. So clearly, uh, we've still seen quite a lot of moisture coming off of uh, Cyclone Elise and uh, some low pressures over there, which uh, are just going to be causing a little bit more uh, rain, I guess, for the rest of the week. But uh, you don't have to be rained out uh, on the show today because we do have a fantastic show lined up for you. And uh, I'm definitely looking forward to being part of it with you. So, as you may know, uh, there is a, a, a not a travel ban per se, but in in Israel there is, uh, the, they've locked the skies um, due to the corona outbreak and the Israelis not wanting to import more variants of the virus while they're doing the the jabs and the vaccine drive, uh, which is increasingly uh, larger and longer. Uh, I'm seeing friends my age in their 30s who are getting it, so it's not necessarily people who are, wouldn't be at risk from the disease. So uh, the Israelis are really are going very quickly in terms of the vaccination program. But while they do that, they've shut the skies to a large number of, um, of, of people who are coming in and out. Uh, and so because they've locked the skies, uh, that doesn't mean that we are locked out from Israel. So I have devoted uh, most of the show today, uh, a good, good first half hour of it at least, uh, to talking about uh, what is going on in Israel from all different perspectives. So we're going to talk about um we're going to talk about virtually everything from the politics to some of the archaeology to looking at the startup nation elements of it to looking at cooking. A whole grand, broad Israel show that is coming up for you today. So if you have an interest in uh, latest in archaeological finds uh, or a new app that is dealing with uh, making sure vaccines are not going off, uh, or what to expect in the Israeli elections coming up in March, uh, or indeed uh, a new Israeli cooking show. All of that is coming up in the show today in the first half hour, 40 minutes. Once we get to 9.40, of course, we cross over, as we always do, to Rob Hutchinson. He's from Tia South Africa, talking to us about what is going on in our parliamentary processes and uh, how you can be a part of that as well. So that is what's coming up in the show. Uh, it's going to be uh, it's going to be lit, as they say. It's going to be very very interesting, and uh, and and I'm looking forward to it. It's going to be very very good. So one thing you should know is that nothing brings you down back to earth after holidays quite like a wallet full of receipts and slips where all the cash used to be. Well, Outsharets has an offer that will turn your post-holiday blues around. 
they could save you money on your car insurance every month. And if they can't, you can ask them for 500 Rand cash. Claim free and the same insurer for three years. Ask for 1,500 Rand. You could save or get your cash in your wallet. SMS out to 40251. That's out to 4012. Excuse me, to get that right. SMS out to 40251. That's out to 40251 uh, to get that cash in your wallets. Uh, Outsurance is a licensed insurer and FSP. T's and C's apply uh, and it is a free SMS. So let's start off with some uh, history, shall we say, some archaeology. Very interesting find in Israel. Uh, always get excited when there's a new archaeological find, of which, of course, there are often and many. Uh, and people get excited for all sorts of reasons. You can get a coin. You might find a new wall. Maybe they find a, a, a seal that has someone's name on it. All of these things are regular and exciting uh, um, regular and exciting archaeological signs that people do find in Israel from time to time. But something that is uh, exciting people in all sorts of ways, which you may not have thought about, is purple. Purple dye uh, has gotten Israeli archaeologists in a bit of a froth uh, because purple dye dating back uh, potentially to the, the reign of King David has been identified on a piece of fabric by Israeli archaeologists. The dye is said to be more valuable than gold and was associated with royalty. It's the first time uh, that textile with, with, with this color from that period has been found in the region. Uh, Israeli antiquities expert Nama Sukunik uh, said it's a very exciting an exciting uh, an important discovery. The fragment was unearthed during excavations at a site in Timna, about 220 kilometers south of Jerusalem. In antiquity, purple attire was associated with nobility, with priests, and also with the royalty. With royalty, and the shade of purple uh, does in fact not fade, and the difficulty in producing dye, uh, which is found in minute quantities in the bodies of mollusks means that it's a very highly valued garment and, in fact, would have cost more than gold at the time. Purple is mentioned uh, in both uh, the Old and New Testaments, uh, including in garments worn by King David, King Solomon's, uh, and Jesus as well. The material containing the dye was found at a dig at a site known as Slaves uh, Hill, uh, and apparently it really shone out during the excavation and when they carbon dated it, it has been dated uh, to the time when King David and King Solomon's were reigning in Israel, which is uh, an absolutely uh, fascinating uh, find. Uh, you know, to think about who would have actually been wearing purple dye uh, back in the day is uh, is a really interesting question, and uh, and one which uh, yeah is. Uh, is, is just, I thought, a different archaeological, archaeological take on, uh, on what's going on, uh, archaeologically. So that is, um, that is something which, uh, which you might find interesting on, uh, on that side of things. Uh, archaeologically speaking here yeah, on the new Blu-rays, that's our first Israel story up. Uh, archaeology, purple dye, 
I wonder if King David may have even worn this particular dye himself. Uh, let's take a short break, and then when we come back afterwards, we're going to be speaking about a new app that used to be used for ice creams that's now being used for vaccines. Hi FM, your station of choice since 2008. This is the new Blue Review with Benji Shulman. You're listening to 101.9 Hi FM. I'm Benji Shulman, and this is the new Blue Review. Uh, welcome back to the show. Nice to be with you. And a uh, very interesting, uh, very interesting app. Uh, innovation coming out of Israel. Uh, something new can, you can always expect to find when it comes to uh, Israeli innovation. Uh, and of course, everyone talking about the coronavirus and everyone talking about the vaccine. So what is the app that uh, could actually help us in this respect? Well, one of the big problems, particularly with uh, vaccines like Pfizer and to some extent Moderna as well, is that refrigeration is absolutely going to be crucial. Uh, you, Pfizer vaccine requires minus 70 uh, degrees Celsius uh, temperature in order to stay fresh. Uh, so to speak, I don't know if freshness is really a, an official medical term, but one can only try. Uh, and then we have uh, the Moderna, which is at about nine, minus 20, which is closer to free, a normal fridge. Uh, so, so keeping the vaccines cold is going to be crucial if we are intending to make sure that they uh, are effective for the population. So uh, that obviously is a, a particular problem in terms of the Pfizer vaccine, take, say, in South Africa, where there's only really limited facilities like at universities or some private sector places where one could have a minus 70 uh, a fridge that can hold something like the Pfizer vaccine. So what does this have to do with uh, Israeli apps and innovation? So Utelligence, a smart, a smart appliance connector, seeks to prevent vaccine spoilage. That's the headline of Calix, Calix Tech, uh, which is... Um, a tech website that uh, covers things like startups, uh, VC, and innovation. And uh, Utelligent is a an app, but it's also a, um, a a kind of an appliance which is connected to the so-called Internet of Things. Internet of Things is a, a term that's used to talk about appliances that talk in inverted commas to one another on the internet uh, and use uh, and, and use these uh, these connections to to actually sp uh, speak with one another and work out uh, work out stuff that's going on. So so a basic example would be um, a, a certain kind of toaster that I know was invented, which connects to the internet first thing in the morning, and then when you have your toast, uh, it actually prints out the weather for the day on the toast using a especially toasted uh, sort of set of symbols. That's a very basic example. But Utelligent is something slightly different. The founder, uh, Abichai Belinsky, uh, says that b basically what they're trying to do is create an EKG for your fridge or for your appliances. And so what this, this plug does is that you plug it into your fridge or your freezer uh, or your toaster or whatever, and it monitors uh, a whole range of, 
of elements, but particularly if it's in your fridge, it can tell you uh, all sorts of things about how cold your fridge is. So originally, when they were trying to do a proof of concept, they went to Ben and Jerry's uh, and said, look, you know, we can monitor your fridge, fridges, so that you don't lose any ice cream uh, and uh, because your fridges go down. And uh, while they were testing it with Ben and Jerry's, it didn't really work. It wasn't that the, that the solution didn't work. It was just that for Ben and Jerry's, the cost of the plugs uh, wasn't as much as cost of the ice creams that they occasionally lost due to, due to the fridges turning off. But this, of course, is a completely different story when it comes to the issues of a vaccine. Uh, those you need to you need to keep cold and you need to prevent them keeping uh, from 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 not keeping cold uh, if they're going to be effective. So the World Health Organization, in as early as 2005, it said that 50% of worldwide vaccines could be uh, disposed of because of a lack of freezer space or transportation. Um, and uh, one will need to find a good and effective way of 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 transporting and keeping these um, these vaccines frozen uh, and Israel has uh, a very good vaccination process and has already had to throw away 467 doses uh, due to potential regulations and this is a problem that's also been happening in uh, New York as well now this company has raised a total of 1.35 million dollars in seed funding and they are currently working with uh, one of, or two of the Israeli health uh, groups there's, there's four of them and uh, and this particular this particular plug is actually going to be out there and it's going to be monitoring all the time the temperatures uh, in the fridges and uh, it's better than uh, like an alarm when when a breakdown happens because Obviously, if the fridge breaks down, then that's already too late. So by tracking this on the internet and going to a central database, prob uh, uh, database you will be able to uh, actually find out what is going on with your fridge and, uh, and then, you know, really uh, make sure that these vaccines are, uh, are kept safe and uh, are kept. Or can at least be administered from a from a freezing perspective. So uh, it's a fascinating article. You can check them out. Intelligent uh, smart vaccines. Uh, so that's uh, yeah, that's that is on the um, that is on the side of innovation. You're listening to 101.9 High FM. I'm Benji Shulman. This is the New Blue Review, and uh, yeah, you can actually. Uh, you can actually check out all of that. We are doing the All Israel Show for today because, of course, Israel is closed to the sky, so we're connecting to it via um, via the internet, and uh, and we're just uh, yeah we're we're checking out what is going on in Israel. And uh, if you want to be part of the show, by the way, uh, you are more than welcome to do so. You can uh, SMS us on three four five. Uh, one nine or telegram us oh six one eight nine five one oh one nine oh six five eight nine five one oh one oh six one eight nine five one oh one nine or three four five one nine those are uh, those are the lines that you can get us on if you want to chat us on the show today uh, on the all israel show now of course 
one of the things that is going to uh, be taking up more and more of our news time uh, in in the coming in the coming weeks is uh, is going to be the Israeli elections um, that is coming up in March. It's going to um, it's going to be big news because of course Israel is having uh, another election uh, of in the last two years. There's been several. Uh, um, that are happening. Uh, the, basically, Israel has not been able to form a coalition government. There's never been a one party that takes, like in our country, the majority of the seats. And so it's always a coalition. And in the last few years, uh, the coalition has been uh, very, very uh, unstable. And so there's been a variety. Uh, and sometimes there hasn't even been a coalition. It just keeps being rolling elections. Uh, however, this particular election looks like, for a variety of reasons, including the collapse of the central opposition parties to Netanyahu, uh, that there might be some kind of outcome. But it is not clear yet what that is. So I wanted to take a look and to take a few minutes to actually try and see what were uh, and what are um, the, the trends, two trends that we're likely to see in the upcoming elections coming up in March, which uh, is just it's just worth uh, it's just worth kind of knowing about in advance. So one of them is the the connection between Netanyahu and uh, Israeli Arabs, which might seem like a little bit of a strange combination. After all, uh, Benjamin Netanyahu um, has, generally speaking, uh, appealed to more right wing. Uh, voters and uh, famously said that uh, Arab voters were going to the polls in droves, uh, which uh, led to a lot of uh, criticism uh, against that uh, particular statement. And um, and 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 so he's not always seen as a um, as, as a reliable partner when it comes to to Arab voters. Uh, and typically, Israeli Arab voters, um, about 80 to 80 to 90 percent of them vote for something called the Joint List, which is a, a group of parties which are connected basically by ethnicity, but not by um, not by a particular overarching political goal. So it's called the Joint List, and it's basically this unwieldy alliance of Islamists and communists and leftist groups, um, the occasional liberal, and uh, it it has uh, it it currently occupies the third largest seat, uh, a number of seats in the Knesset, and so it's very close even to being the official um, opposition party. But what's found is that um, is 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 that potential voter interest in this bloc, which uh, has been growing, and in the last election, turnout really, really drove the amount uh, of people voting for um, the joint list. A lot of the Jewish parties have now started to saying that um, um, that uh, that they would be more interested uh, in having uh, Arab members of on their slates. In other words, the slates that they put towards uh, the Knesset, um, they want to have uh, more Israeli Arabs as part of that. Now, that was a tradition in Israeli politics. 
that you had Israeli Arabs as part of a, a variety of states, whether it was right wing, left wing, uh, or whatever. Uh, and that's because um, the and, and that's because you know is Arab Israeli society is very uh, fractious and and very multiplicity multiplicitous. So there's lots of elements to do with uh, religion. So if you're a Christian or you're a Muslim or ethnicity, if you're a Bedouin um, or a Druze, all of that makes a huge difference in how you will vote. Uh, and and so it used to be that about 30% of, um, of MKs were actually distributed across Jewish political parties. And that, that sort of went away for a while when the joint list was becoming a much more powerful um, uh, a much more powerful block, but now uh, the joint list doesn't seem to have been um, uh, doesn't seem to have been successful in ousting Netanyahu, which is basically what they tried to do. They haven't been very successful in getting like services to the people, which is also what they promised to do. So there's now this interesting shift. On the one side, what you're having is Arab uh, Israeli uh, support which is moving more towards the Jewish parties. And as a result, they're picking up more, um, they're picking up more Arab Israeli representatives. And that you should expect to see on the list, uh, many, many more, uh, in the Jewish parties. And the joint list is, uh, is sort of breaking up. And because they just can't seem to get on, uh, all the, all the time. So, so there's that element. And then Netanyahu, who's struggling to make a coalition, has actually started reaching out. He's going to Nazareth. He's going going to Ufacham, which are all uh, very well-known Arab towns. And he's actually um, trying to focus on getting the additional Arab vote, even though uh, he is not, uh, you know, hasn't necessarily traditionally uh, been been actually able to get it. So that's one interesting. Um, uh, that's one interesting element which which you might like to see. It's the what is the role that um, that Arab Israelis uh, are going to be taking in this upcoming election. Uh, as we talk about the election, the other interesting thing is the from the right. So who is going to be actually challenging Benjamin Netanyahu in the polls? Traditionally. What tends to happen in Israeli elections, at least for the last sort of five, six, seven years, is that you'll have the the the, the Likud, which is Benjamin Netanyahu's party. It sits on the center right, and there's a cluster of parties uh, to its right uh, as well, more extreme parties uh, to the right, like Bennett's party, New Home, and um, a couple of other like the ultra-religious parties, uh, ultra-orthodox parties like Shas, etc., uh, as well. So so there's that. And then most Israelis vote for like a centrist group of parties, parties that tend to come up um, for one election or two elections. People vote for them and then they go away. Uh, Kadima was a famous one with Sipi Livni. Uh, Blue and White with Gantz was another one. Uh, and so um, that is also part of uh, Israeli electoral patterns. And then there's a small group on the left, Labour, and um and merit so so what's happened in this election is that there isn't an obvious centrist candidate blue and white which is Gans's party didn't do very well uh in in his last set of um 
of election promises. They have a coalition government with Netanyahu, but Netanyahu didn't live up to the coalition. So now we're having another election, and this has destroyed the centrist parties. So where are the centrist parties going to go? Well, one of the interesting potential options that they have is a senior Likud member called Gideon Sa'ar. Uh, Gideon Sa'ar has been a member of, that, of Likud for many, many years, uh, and he's very much on the right. He believes in the annexation of the West Bank. Uh, he's a hawk on foreign policy. He's not a big fan of the Palestinians. In other words, he's not the center-left that used to oppose um, used to oppose Netanyahu. So the question is, how can he go about beating Netanyahu? And this is where it starts to get a little bit interesting. So during the American election campaign, uh, one of Donald, one of the thorns in the side of Donald Trump was a group called the Lincoln Project. And the Lincoln Project was an interesting group uh, because they were right-wing conservatives, um, people who who uh, basically, for, for the longest time, uh, re- supported the Republican Party but didn't like Donald Trump. Uh, they thought that he was you know, not an effective government, governor, etc. And, and so they... But they're also very media savvy. And if you know anything about American politics, you'll know that uh, they can, uh, the, particularly the right wing and the conservatives, uh, can be very cutting and have a very aggressive negative campaigning against their opponents. That's kind of what they're known for. Um, now, this strategy, this sort of negative campaigning, is actually something that uh, Benjamin Netanyahu is very good at. Uh, it helped him to defeat Shimon Peres uh, back in the day. Um and, uh, and, and, and it's something that he's been very good at, but no one's ever tried to do it against him. And so Gideon Sa'ar has actually gone and hired, um, members of the, of, of the Lincoln Project to run his campaign. He's already a right winger, so he can't be accused of being a left winger, which is what, uh, Netanyahu likes to do. Um, and, and he is going to be using the same campaign that they did against Trump which was to run negative campaigns against Trump to moderate Republicans to say that, that he doesn't rep- represent the party. And he's now going to run it against um, against Benjamin Netanyahu. Uh, and so it's going to be very interesting to see if this works. Of course, Americans are no stranger to Israeli elections. Uh, they have they worked with, uh, they've worked with Netanyahu. They've worked um, also with Barack. So it'll be interesting to see if, the Lincoln Project and its anti-Trump forces uh, can peel away votes the same way um, that uh, what well, against Trump rather that um, that uh, uh, you know that, and, and if it works against uh, Likud and Netanyahu. So that's that's fascinating. Now, as a last uh, sort of gasp on that, um, it's kind of worth noting that. Um, there's actually a South African involved in some of this as well. Uh, her name is uh, Basaman, uh, and she's not South African per se, but she actually lived in the country. Uh, she went to Herzliya School, and she's had this sort of on-and-off relationship with the Knesset. She's part of the Blue and White Party, and she got into the parliament for all of three days uh, before she uh, had to be um, she had to step down because the Israelis have something called a Norwegian law. Uh, which is that if you are a member of the Knesset, then you can go up into the cabinet. 
But once you're in the cabinet, uh, if you have to resign for whatever reason, you can go back into the parliament. And so whoever into the Knesset. So whoever was in the Knesset then has to go out. And this poor woman, uh, she got in uh, and then uh, and then she had to go out again because <laughs> uh, because of a Norwegian law. And now it looks like uh, she's come back in again. So it's a, a very interesting situation and one in which uh, one hopes that she'll stay. But uh, the last time that there was a South African connected person in the Israeli Knesset was Shmuel Katz. Uh, who was uh, a, a famous member of Beitar and uh, Likud uh, himself, and of course Abba Eben, um, who, but that was even before, who was the famous uh, South African Israeli orator. So, so hopefully Wasserman will be able to stick around in the Knesset for long enough uh, that you can make some kind of difference. So, those are some of the trends that we're going to be looking forward to when it comes to the Israeli elections. Look out for the Arab vote. Look out for the Lincoln Project. Uh, and look out for Miss um, Wasserman uh, as she um, as, as she tries to get into the Knesset. We're going to take a short break, and we come back. We'll be talking to Rob Hutchinson from Dear South Africa. IFM one hundred and one point nine megahertz of life. This is the new Blue Review with Benji Shulman. You're listening to 101.9 IFM. I'm Benji Shulman. This is the New Blue Review. And uh, as always, we have on the line Rob Hutchinson from Tia, South Africa, talking to us about Parliament and what is going on there. Rob, welcome to the show. Good morning, Benji. I trust you're well. Very, very good. Uh, tell us, Rob, what should we be expecting to see coming out of Parliament this week? There's quite a bit on the go, actually. There's a few continuations from, from last year through uh, through the holidays and a few amendment bills which have been, been reintroduced. One of concern is around this issuing of social grants and how, how that is going to be handled. And it's called anti-social... I'm actually looking for the correct terminology because it's quite a mouthful. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's around the social social grants and the issuing of um, social grants and how they will be uh, ex- executed and, and so on. One major one major concern in the Social Assistance Amendment Act and the regulations provided around that is um, the types of social grants that are, are now introduced. And there's a whole plethora of of new social grants which most people might not even be aware of. Um, for instance, the uh, grants for older persons, then there are additional payments linked to older persons grants, there's a disability grant, a war veterans grant, a grant in aid, which is quite a generic uh, description there, a grant linked to child support, and then a child support grant, a foster child grant, a care dependency grant, and then the one of most interest, which is a social relief or of distress grant. So that relates to the major change in, in this amendment, which is around um, the providing of assistance in the case of uh, emergencies or case of, of a disaster, which is what we're seeing now. So my feeling behind this is that it's possibly an extension of the 350 rand social grant that was issued because of COVID. Then we're going to see an extension of that and maybe a permanent application thereof. How the country will afford that will obviously be through uh, taxation and and so on um, from the uh, registered 3.1 million and active taxpayers. Um, supporting uh, what we're seeing now is that almost 20 million grants 
which is not the ideal situation to be in 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 our country. Um, I mean, it's another, very interesting, Rob, when you yeah. talk about the issue of grants. Uh, you know, there there has been a bit of a fight between uh, legal groups and the government and and Sasser and whatever uh, about uh, about the, the three hundred and fifty rand grant because they they have taken it off the table. So what you're saying is is you think that with the change in the law, they're actually just trying to expand uh, the number of potential grant categories uh, so that they can they can start to bring these grants more into society in general, but in a, in a way that sort of looks more legalistic than just the sort of one or 350 rand thing that we've been seeing. That's, that's pretty much it in a nutshell. And they've, they've introduced um, different legal processes around that as well. So if, and around classification of who fits into what category. So if you... Uh, applied for a grant under a certain condition, then it would be up to the agency to decide uh, whether you are uh, applicable to that. However, now they've introduced a tribunal um, which removes the court process from from this whole dis, uh, dispute process. And this is a common thing that we've, we've been seeing introduced into a lot of state agencies lately, where they're trying to avoid uh, people going to to the courts to to dispute any decisions made by any any state agency. These tribunals have um, immense power. Um, it is expensive to apply to to be heard before before a tribunal, and the tribunal is uh, indiscriminate. It, it's supposed to be indiscriminate, but it's appointed by uh, either the president or the minister, and it can be made up of of literally anyone that they they decide. Which raises rather a lot of concern there, and that brings it into uh, the types of social grants. So, if they're going to introduce a separate type or separate category, then your only way of, of disputing that would be through this tribunal, which in most cases will never rule against the agency. So, it's a, a very difficult process. And if you want to dispute the tribunal, then you have to, on your own accord, take that to court. And nobody receiving a social grant can can do that. So, yeah, it's a, I mean, it's how many? Rob, I mean, like, what is the point of this tribunal in general? I mean, how often do people dispute uh, categories of social grants that they're in, or uh, you know, is this like a common issue that people have? Well, I wouldn't say it is, but when you're applying for for a grant and it gets turned down then you would normally have the opportunity to approach the court uh, or um, reapply to the agency under, under a different under a different category. Now you have to go through this tribunal and they decide on your application whether it should be reassessed or whether the agency should should comply. It's it's a very convoluted process which which seems to uh, place a lot of power within the agency itself so that they can control who receives grants and who doesn't apply for certain grants. I mean, it's also interesting that, you know, there's been a lot of chatter from uh, uh, social justice groups and also inside the ANC driving for this, what they're calling the universal basic income grant, uh, where they would give literally everyone in South Africa a certain amount of money uh, every month and then claim it back if they thought that you didn't uh, kind of deserve it. So it also sounds like they might be setting up an infrastructure for that uh, in some of these uh, legislative uh, agendas. Yeah, that's that's a very good point. And yeah, you're absolutely correct that the universal basic income will fall part of this. Whether the country can afford an extra, I think it was estimated 187 billion rand per annum to fund the universal, universal basic income is another story. But yes, there again, it's a very 
very, I don't want to say socialist approach to, to governance, where you're trying to make most of your population dependent on government. Whereas, in my opinion, the correct way would be to reduce the number of, of social grants and, and uh, reduce the size of that agency and all expenses involved involved with it. You want to self-empower people rather than make them dependent. But, you know, this is the way we seem to be moving forward. Yeah, absolutely. A very, very interesting uh, development there. Rob, if people want to comment on uh, these new grants uh, and other elements of the... the um, are the elements of this particular amendment? Uh, where where can they do that and how? We will be launching it on our website today, dsnafrica.co.za, and we'll provide all the necessary information that people need to establish their their opinion. And each and every one of those opinions that are, are made on our website will be sent as individual comments to to the relevant minister and hopefully will influence the outcome of, of this. And that's on our website, dsouthafrica.co.za. There you go. Yeah, a very crucial, important uh, issue. Uh, can we afford all of these things that the government wants to uh, cost us, whether it's this or the NHI or, uh, you know, a whole range of uh, all sorts of other issues? Uh, who knows? But in the meantime, you can comment on the social grant element. Rob, so thank you so much for joining us. We'll chat to you again next week. Fantastic, Benji. Thanks for having me on. Have a lovely week ahead. There we go. Rob Hutchinson from Dear South Africa. Go have a look at their site. Uh, do a bit of commenting. Uh, get your voice heard. Uh, if uh, <clears throat> enough people comment on stuff uh, uh, and comment properly, it actually makes a big difference in how uh, the laws that govern your and mine and everyone's lives are actually, are actually done and actually created. So uh, go ahead and do that. We're going to take a short break. We'll be back just after this. Hi FM, 101.9 megahertz of life. This is the new Blue Review with Benji Shulman. 101.9 Hi FM, I'm Benji Shulman. This is the new Blue Review and welcome to uh, the final few minutes of the show. I wanted to end the show today. Um, just like a number of my colleagues at Chai FM have been doing over the last uh, couple of days, um, just to pay tribute to a member of our team that lost his life uh, recently and, and was an important part of the show, uh, DJ Flo. And uh, you know, I knew DJ Flo uh, at Chai FM primarily and initially because uh, he was uh, one of the people who worked on the sound and the social media when it came to, to this show in particular. So he would, uh, I would see him and he would help uh, upload stuff onto Twitter and upload stuff onto Facebook whenever we have a show that's interesting or, or there's some sort of connection. Uh, obviously we put stuff on social media and that has to be managed. Uh, and DJ Flow was, uh, was part of, of that process. And that's how I came to know him. Uh, in general, and, and then I think a lot of members of of the station, of the, the the presenters, etc., uh, were came to know him initially. Uh, but DJ Flo, as time went on and we got to know him better, actually started to have a greater impact on the show. Even though he's not a, not a producer per, or per se, uh, or wasn't a producer for the show, he had an impact. And the reason was that uh, DJ Flo was was many things, and one of them was. Uh, someone who was absolutely passionate about hip-hop. Uh, he loved the local hip-hop scene and he could speak uh, literally for hours 
uh, about it and about what was new and upcoming with young people that were coming up in, in the community and of, of hip-hop. And occasionally he would bring me hip-hop uh, artists uh, that were also relevant to the station. So uh, at, at one point we, we ended up interviewing someone who uh, did uh, local hip-hop from, from just down the road uh, in, uh, in, in the East Rand, uh, and we, we did a couple of, of others. And, and so whenever Flo had someone who was in the genre who uh, was, was also applicable to the show, then we would play them uh, and give them a, a bit of a boost and sort of support local as lacquer. Uh, and, and, and that was how uh, occasionally on the show you would end up hearing hip-hop, uh, which I should say is not really my, <laughs> uh, my musical genre. So uh, he really sort of contributed in this way. And as soon as we went down to lockdown, uh, he took on uh, additional responsibilities uh, on my show and many others because now, uh, as I'm sure you know, we actually broadcast from home. I'm doing this from my study. I'm not in studio. Uh, and that requires an additional person to link the Skype to the studio uh, so that you can hear it and, uh, and, so that we can do the, and so that we can do the show. Uh, and Flo became the official linker uh, and the person who organized the linking between, between Skype. And, and a lot of uh, the presenters on the, on, the, on the daytime show got to know him uh, because he was th that guy that did it. Uh, whenever I, I, mean, I, haven't been in the, I haven't been in the office and I haven't been in the station for basically a year now because of, of lockdown. Uh, but w whenever I did before and, and I bumped into Flo, it was always someone I could re rely upon to – uh, give me an honest and fresh perspective about issues that were going on, which was very helpful for me to understand um, my work at the station and, and the work that I did. He was always enthusiastic and always helpful, and he was an important part of our team here, not just on High FM, uh, uh, and, but on this show in particular. Um, and I'm going to miss him, uh, and uh, and I think that our station is going to miss him, and uh, he, he made a contribution for, for a man who was very, very young. Uh, and uh, I just wanted to take that opportunity to, to thank him uh, for his contribution to our show and just to say uh, that we'll miss him and condolences to, to his family. That brings us to the end of the show for today. Thank you for everyone who does help make the show uh, what it is. Senna, who is on the production. Uh, Craig, who pushes all the big red buttons. Vusi, who sits on the sound. And thank you to you, uh, dear listeners, uh, who do tune into the show every single week. We'll be back next week, Monday, on the new Blue Review. Hi FM, your station of choice since 2008.